my message is that people who have anxiety and experience anxiety, that's not who they are. They are so much more beneath that. They're a person who is feeling anxiety, has this sensation in their body. And this is why we're so good at centering it on the negative stuff. And a lot of people say, I'm a really negative person. It's just because you're in survival mode, your body's trying to protect you. If I can point out the negatives, then I can, I can point out the threats. I went through a phase after that of just feeling like, when's the next blow gonna happen? Like where life's just gonna come and, and turn me upside down. I don't quit and I get to keep going forward. And, and this is what I love to show people is that you don't have to listen to the limitations of your mind. You can break free from those so the anxiety doesn't have to hold you back. If I'm like upset about something, I will journal that out until there's nothing left to think about basically. Yeah. So getting the thoughts down before I go to sleep helps a lot. This is just something that's happening constantly in your body. You're just not functioning at your best. And, and you can do things to support that every day in your life. A lot of people don't pay a lot of attention to their gut. I have to, in my work, ask people about their bowel motions all the time. And so many people just have no idea what their pattern is. And they assume that what they're experiencing is normal. Hi everyone, my name is Martin Matićević and I'm the co-founder of Beautiful Minds. If you've listened to the previous episodes, you'll know that this podcast is all about elevating your personal and professional life. Each week we bring on an incredible thinker, someone who's at the forefront of their specific field, and then they deliver a valuable lesson within the discussion. It's up to you to then take that lesson and put it into action. We can't do that for you. However, in recent weeks, There's been a lot of changes out there globally. Things like global lockdown measures, self-isolation, social distancing, and many more. These are all unfamiliar things, especially to me. However, that doesn't mean opportunities cease to exist. No, quite the opposite. And that's why it's my aim to tailor the content specific to what we're going through. Don't miss out. Hi, my name is Martin and this is Beautiful Minds. My guest today is Georgie Collinson. Georgie, you're an anxiety mindset coach, gut health expert and nutritionist. Your aim is to help people exchange anxiety for calm and control using naturopathy. And you also have your own online courses such as the 12-day meditation program and the Reset Your Anxious Mind in 90 Days program. Welcome to Beautiful Minds. It's great to have you on. How are you? Thanks, Martin. I'm doing really well. I'm feeling... A bit tired because I've spent all of this week um, in my launch mode, getting people excited and enrolling in the next round of my program. Um, but otherwise, I'm good. I'm doing well. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it takes a bit of hard work. I know online courses can be tough. Yeah, and it's just it's um it's also the like anticipation for the whole week. You're just like, how's this gonna go, and and all of that. It's it's a whole thing. How many hours goes into a course, would you say, making one? Uh, 
in terms of me creating it yeah yeah making a course how many hours would you say goes into one that is a good question because the thing is i made my first round so this is my fourth round now that i've been doing it the first round i it was very much like my draft my beta kind of round and then i redid the whole thing again after that so it's i'd say there's recording the videos there's about an hour each week of videos so that's 12 hours of me actually speaking on the videos and then probably i've never added it all up before but it, it it's it's lots of work and yeah. the thing is though if anyone out there is wanting to go into the whole um online course online program kind of world i would say do not create your course or your program before like before getting people to sign up for it get people to sign up then create it and you can create it week by week and that's the best way to do it because you've already got people who need the next week, need that next bit of, bit of um, material ready. I'd say have your bones, have the structure there. But um, that's what I did with the first round. And that's how I created it week by week. I filled in as, as I went. And that was the only way I could do it. That's really smart, yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah, because if you were waiting to perfect it and get, you know, you just never, it's never going to be perfect, is it? And so now, I've, you know, being in the fourth round now, I've been able to add in so many elements from the feedback of people going through and things, ideas that have occurred to me since then. And I'm just so happy with where it's at. But I also am aware that in probably a year or two, um, it's going to look different again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to kind of re-update it and add new things to it, right? That's yeah. right. Keep so building my marketplace. When you first started, how did you decide that online courses were going to be kind of the foundation of your business? Because you need a following before that, don't you? Yes. I that's an interesting question. So I do think it's important to build the following, and that has to be something that you kind of constantly work on because that just takes time to do. Yeah. Um, my sort of story with that is I, I built a following of about 5,000 on Instagram, um, in about 2013. And then it just stayed on that number for the next five years. Oh wow! And <laughs> I, or even longer. And I just kept it going here and there. Um, I was working as a general naturopath in a clinic first, um, before I went out and, and started the program and started really niching down into just helping people with anxiety, which has always been my passion. That's always been the thing that I've lit up with. And, and they're the, the clients that came to me when they were with anxiety. I was just like, all right, I love this. I know what to do. I know how to help you. Um, so, yeah, I got to a point where I needed to move my life to the UK and I, and this happened, yeah, and this happened at the start of last year. And so I ended up, I sort of had the plans in my mind before that for about six months, but I, I knew how I was going to do it. I loved the idea of being online, having an online business because I love freedom and I love being able to have flexibility in my day. I love being able to know that I could travel and work at the same time. Um, and so the way that I could sort of reconcile this move to the UK, um, and make that work 
was to move my business online. And so I left the clinic. I was working in the most beautiful clinic in Melbourne. It was just like one of the best clinic in Melbourne. Um, and I was so proud of that job and so proud of working there. And all, I gained so much experience. So it was kind of painful to leave. But it ended up being one of those things where like these things happen for a reason and having that push to go into the online world before I felt ready um, was, yeah, a great thing. And then I kind of was like, so I, I launched the first round of my program um, with this, with 5,000 followers. And now I'm at, I think, uh, I'm, I'm heading towards 24,000 followers. I'm, I'm at 23 at the moment. And so I built that following in not that long of a time. It was only a year and a half really since that I've, that I've built that, um, started with, I, I signed up for an, I, I just sort of realized that there has to be a way to make this work. There has to be a way to build your audience because people are doing it Absolutely. and there has to be a way about buying followers. Yeah. yeah it's not good. <laughs> um, and I've got an important message and I needed more people to hear it. So I looked into what I could do, what the options were. I came across, um, a training and Instagram growth, accelerator training and I signed up for it and I got just from the free um, webinar that was at the start of it I implemented some of the tactics some of the tools that they suggested and already suddenly I had my first viral post and I was like wow. whoa this works so I signed up for the full thing and this is the thing there's always a, a solution there's always a way to make this um, to, to make these things happen especially something like like building an online business you know there's obviously just different ways you can go about it um but i think it's so important to have that sort of mindset of i just don't know it yet i, I just haven't seen it yet if you're you know sitting and you can't grow your following there's a reason there's there's still a, a strategy you haven't tried yet there's something yeah. you're maybe a tweak you need to make and i think it's the worst thing when we get into that defeatist mentality and just say oh it's the algorithm's broken <laughs> Classic, yeah. <laughs> it's not the algorithm's fault. It's it's just about it's just about your strategy. Yeah. So it took you a while to kind of take that ownership and say, okay, there's a way to get there. I'm going to sign up to this program. Was that program recommended to you, or was it just based on reviews, or did you just have that instinct to say, I'm going to try this and see what happens? Well, like a lot of people, it's a, it was a free webinar that found me. And I think when you are starting to Google and search about online businesses, those targeted ads find you. And so I always, when I have a targeted ad, you know, as you're scrolling through Instagram, um, they find you, the entrepreneur ones, the ones that are sort of all about, you know, what, so you're wanting to launch a podcast. You probably get those, Martin, because that's probably what you're, you know, Googling and things um, like that. Yeah, I guess I get a few, but I kind of tend to skip over them. I don't know, just my mind kind of automatically ignores targeted ads. I don't know, just it's weird. Yeah, well, thing. I always watch them, yeah. partly because I am in the space where I need to market online and digitally. Okay. So I know that when I produce a free webinar, I need to give value. I need to deliver. Right. And so there's value in there. Yeah. It's not just fluff. Um, and each of them have some kind of a gem and I've gained up so many different amazing ideas from just watching all the free webinars. So I do all of them and I rarely sign up for the thing at the end, <laughs> but I've collected a lot of, a lot of really valuable information that way. Um, and yeah, I did end up, up doing this, uh, 
Instagram course, which was, yeah, really helpful too. That's really good. You said you have a message. What is that message? Ooh, good question. My message is that people who have anxiety and experience anxiety, that's not who they are. They are so much more beneath that. They're a person who is feeling anxiety, has this sensation in their body. But I like to use almost this metaphor all the time because I feel like it's, I love a metaphor. Basically, you are who you really are is like a blue sky. And those emotions you experience or the anxiety, that is storm clouds rolling through the blue sky. But underneath it, there's you, who you really are. That blue sky doesn't go away. And so I think that can be so empowering for people to understand that you are not your thoughts, you are not the anxiety. And it's an identity almost that so many of us kind of start to believe we are, we become it. And it's, it's hard to break the cycle when you believe that you are the anxious person. So my message for people is that you learned how to be anxious and you can unlearn it too. And you're so much more powerful than you realize. <laughs> <laughs> and anxiety is a product of our thoughts, you said, right? Yes. And how yep. do those thoughts come about in the first place? Well, we have these minds that like to think a lot of thoughts. They try to protect us, especially when we're, when we're in that survival mode. Right. It's all about it's all about where is the 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 problem so that I can solve it so that I can survive. So we'll center in. This is why we're so good at centering it on the negative stuff. And a lot of people say I'm a really negative person. It's just because you're in survival mode. Your body's trying to protect you. If I can point out the negatives, then I can I can point out the threats okay. and I can protect myself. Um, so that's where those thoughts come from, and they'll always be there. I still get thoughts in my head that are you know not helpful, but it's about the fact that I've got the awareness to look at those thoughts and see that they're not me, and kind of go oh here's the story that my mind's telling me about how i'm not good enough again ah here's the story of my mind that's telling me that um i should just i don't know quit my business or whatever it is like there's these stories and because i dismiss them because i don't let that get to me i don't quit and i get to keep going forward and and this is what i love to show people is that you don't have to listen to the limitations of your mind you can break free from those so the anxiety doesn't have to hold you back in your life yeah and have you suffered from anxiety is it something that you've overcome yourself oh yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. that's why it's my that's why it's my passion this is my life's work is working out this this approach to anxiety that um worked for me um and i've seen work for so many of my clients and my program members that you know, I, so that story, I'll go into it, (laughs) started, um, I was, I was always a, a sort of perfectionist type. Um, I liked achieving, I liked doing well at school. Mm. And so I, and you know, I cared a lot about what my marks were and all of that. And so that was my anxiety when I was a sort of teen. Um, but it wasn't necessarily like a thing that was holding me back. It was more kind of, if anything, sort of motivating. I wasn't having panic attacks or anything like that. It was quite a low hum, but it was there. And then when I was 19, um, my parents divorced and that whole 
explosion of my stability and my you know sense of safety and security in my life because both my parents were going through their stuff I was so mad at my dad and my mum was grieving and you know they they weren't there for me suddenly these really big support figures and so I'd gone from and I know you know this is the thing people go through um more traumatic stuff than that but this was the thing that in contrast to the relatively stable happy childhood I'd had suddenly it all exploded and so I was so not ready for it I was just like whoa what is this um and so I went through a phase after that of just feeling like when's the next blow gonna happen like where life's just gonna come and and turn me upside down and that was that was a huge fear from what I now realize was a traumatic experience you know going through that and so I was waking up every day with all this anxiety in my chest. It was just this sense of my life has gone wrong. I've gone off the blueprint. This wasn't how it was meant to go. And I probably spent about two or three years in the thick of that, just feeling really, and this was my early twenties. You know, this is meant to, meant to be when you're living it up and, and having yeah. a great time. Um, but I think that's a bit of a cliche. And I think the reality is for a lot of people, uh, your twenties can be a very, um, tricky time because you've got so much pressure on yourself to work out who you are and what you're going to do and, and all of those things as well. So, so that was the anxiety for me. That was when it was at its worst. Um, it's sort of, I've had a few peaks of it, I would say through my life. Um, but I went down the path of trying to find the, the conventional approach, working with a psychologist. Um, I just never found the right one and I always found they they couldn't really tell me anything new that I found beneficial or they would tell me that you know they would try to tell me about emotional awareness and I and then afterwards they I'd sort of talk to them about it and then they'd say well actually it seems like you're already really emotionally aware and so I'd say okay great well what's next so and and I, I totally, this is no, in no means a sort of like me against psychologists at all, because I think there are some amazing ones out there. Um, and obviously it just, it just depends. I just didn't find the right one for me. And so uh, I needed something else. And I continued that search um, and found through naturopathy, um, some of the things that we learned, certainly looking after your nutrition, looking after your gut health. Um, with the right balance of this, like you can't just lean on just food and getting the diet perfect to make your mind perfect. It's just not going to happen. It's in fact, it's usually to your detriment because you get too restrictive with food, um, which I also went into that for a while too. So I, um, yeah, I, I found that there needed to be this, this flexible approach where we could use giving our brain the nutrients it needs so that it can find calm more easily so that it can make those brain chemicals you need. Um, looking after your gut health so that again, the, the link between the gut and the brain is so, is so clear as well. And we, we learn more and more about that in research all the time. Um, the way that our gut bacteria send chemical messages up our vagus nerve into our brain um, to regulate some of those brain chemicals too. So there's all of these things that we can do for our physiology, for our physical body to help us find calm more easily 
so that then on that physical level, we're kind of, we're kind of looking after ourselves. Then it's so much easier to do the work on your mindset and your beliefs and all of that as well. Um, and that's, that's kind of, that was my approach. And that's what I've worked through with clients and program members. And that's what my program is all about is going through that, that holistic approach where it's almost like when your body's on your side with the, with this, um, and we're meeting all the needs that your body needs, you build this resilience to anxiety. And so it's like floating downstream with then trying to meditate and do all those things that are so hard to do when you're really anxious um, instead of trying to swim upstream with it. And did you have a mentor or someone that introduced you to this? Good question. I would say I've had so many. Like it's hard to almost say um, say one, but definitely, you know, there've been, and there's been quite a lot of, uh, you know, a real spiritual influence in there too, sure. which is very interesting because I grew up without any kind of, any of that in my, in my life. It's very, um, it was an atheist upbringing in many ways. Um, so my dad was very atheist, my brother too. I remember, you know, coming home from school and saying like, um, oh, like I'd learnt something about, about the Bible and a, a biblical story. And I just remember my brother saying, you're such an idiot. Do you actually think that was real? Like that the miracles aren't real. Like Jesus was real, but anyway, all of that. And so I, I had this belief system that it was stupid to believe in anything. Yeah. And what I found was when I was in my early twenties, I was deeply yearning for some kind of a belief system. And I felt that hole in my life. And so um, building that, I think, is so crucial as well um, for building a sense of trust in life. And that, that, so I've had lots of mentors in that regard as well. I haven't actually met anyone that was brought up an atheist and then became more spiritual later. I've, I've met a lot of people that were the opposite, kind of had a very spiritual upbringing and then became more atheist as they became more independent in life. So that, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Do you find that as well? Um, I definitely have heard a lot of people who would say maybe got come from a more strict religious upbringing yeah. and then create their own version of, of that. I see. Yeah, that's common yeah. as well. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Certainly my understanding is that um, God, the concept of God, which used to be such a triggering word for me, it still kind of is. I have to kind of like work with that. But it's it's everyone's concept of God is the same thing. Um, in my mind, it's the same, it's the same. It's basically love. It's basically connecting to that part of you that loves as opposed to the part of you that fears and hates and is in survival mode. And I honestly think that's such a, like you can call it like it's all semantics, but I think that we can all agree that, when you are in a calm place, when you're feeling, when you're looking at a sunset or you're looking at a newborn baby, like we all have those moments where we're just struck by with awe and wonder. And we just, that feeling is that's love. That's, that's, that's God, that's spirituality um, within us all. Yeah. I have a question about the survival mode that you mentioned and also about the, the self-awareness, the instincts, because you mentioned about gut health and it's very hard to be self-aware about how your gut is feeling because by the time you notice it, it's in your brain already. And then that's when the suffering starts. 
So then, as you said, to go downstream and focus on the guts, it's quite difficult, isn't it? Well, I think there's a there's a couple of things there. So the like the state of your gut health can be a subtle thing that you don't necessarily notice in terms of like, Ooh, I've got digestive pain or I'm really bloated right now. Um, that obviously can be a thing, but a lot of us just from living our modern lives with lots of stress, alcohol, um, eating processed foods, not eating enough fiber, all of those things can make it hard for our good gut bacteria to, to flourish. And when that happens, this is just something that's happening constantly in your body. You're just not functioning at your best. And, and you can do things to support that every day in your life. Um, and so it's not necessarily, it's something that we work on. And then over time, after a few weeks, after a few months of doing this, that ability for your brain to regulate its own brain chemicals is enhanced because you're, you've, you've looked after your gut gut state and then hopefully that continues and those behaviors continue going forward um but the other thing i would say is that this with the self-awareness is that it's a lot of people don't pay a lot of attention to their gut (laughs) and i know this because you know i have to in my work ask people about their bowel motions all the time and so many people just have no idea what their pattern is and they assume that what they're experiencing is normal And that could be, you know, a whole range of different things, which I would say, um, you know, are not necessarily optimal and where you want to be with your gut health. But um, yeah, that's definitely a thing is the self-awareness of what your, what your body's actually doing every day and how well it's functioning in that regard. Definitely. And have you got any examples of things where perhaps it's been subtle, but it can have drastic consequences down the line, for example, you know, you might feel great after you've had a heavy weekend and then maybe you won't feel the effects until the next weekend or the next Wednesday or Thursday. Well, I would say it's, it's yeah, in that sense, um, most people who are having regularly heavy weekends would be, you know, it's about the long-term build-up. Sure. And so how that, how that over time changes your gut health. Yeah. If you're just having one big weekend in three, four months, Um, and that's kind of just like, and then other times you're sort of, you know, you just have a drink here or there, your body can cope with that. But if we're doing that all the time, we're going to really reduce our, our body's ability to bounce back and recover from that. Um, I think some, a sign that would be like a subtle sign that there's something going on with your gut that people don't realize is their link to their digestion would be that you get, um, some kind of immune issue. And usually this can be things like hay fever or allergies in general, Um, skin issues, eczema, acne, uh, a lot of those can be, and and weird rashes and stuff can come back to our gut health. (laughs) So we're we're told as kids perhaps that hay fever is just something that's genetic or if our parents have it, we'll have it. But you're saying that perhaps we just develop it through bad habits? Totally. It's something that we can... I think it's best to to look at it as it's something you can improve and it's something that you can definitely reduce. So the stronger your gut is, you've got 70 to 80% of your immune system just under the lining of your gut. And so if you are are looking after your gut health, that immune system is going to be less triggered um, by the inflammation at your gut lining, for example. 
Um, and so then that that plays on to how how on alert your immune system is when it comes to pollen and dust and all of that. Um, and so we can calm that immune response down, which is really cool. This is why yeah. gut health's amazing. This is why everyone loves it so much, and it's such a trending kind of topic because it it moves into so many different areas. Yeah, there's a book called Guts, and I think the lady that wrote it, I forgot her name. She she talks about how it might even be linked to autism and and um, different conditions in in kids. Um, and I found that really interesting because you can definitely see different eating habits in different cultures. And mm. I think that's also something that it should be at a government level where they should be thinking, right, we need to kind of regulate the quality of nutrition that kids are eating in our country. Um, oh, absolutely. And it can be just the simplest stuff. Like there's so many fancy gut powders and products out there and all these okay. probiotics that, you know, literally let's just like eat enough fiber and eat enough fruit and vegetables. Yeah. And so I don't know what the what the slogan is in the UK, but in in Australia we have um, eat your uh, like it's two two serves of fruit and five serves of veggies a day is the recommendation. And I believe I don't know what the statistics are, but I believe it's only like eight percent of Australians actually meet that, which wow. is crazy. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very low. Whatever it is, don't quote me on that. No, but course. and I would imagine it'd be similar in the UK too, just from yeah. I had a Zoom call with my friends the other night and we were talking about different things. And I mentioned this interview that I listened to with Dr. Sean Baker. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He's American no, I and uh, he's a very smart guy. And there's definitely a lot of merit to what he says when you look at the facts, because I researched them later on. And he talks about his carnival diet. And the guy literally lives off anything from animals. So he'll have like 12 eggs bacon and steak in the morning and he won't eat anything till like the next day he doesn't eat any carbs fruit or veg um Zero and all, yeah and all the meat that he eats comes from good sources so it'll be farm eggs organic chicken corn fed grass fed like best quality and he said like as in i can't recite all the benefits and what happens inside your body when you live like that but he talked about so many people having improved blood tests and levels of insulin and yeah he talks about all these things and i just found it so interesting how extreme different diets can be and sometimes yes. it's about convincing yourself that it's the right one otherwise you're just going to be anxious all the time about whether this is truly the best stuff that you can put in your body totally honestly i've i tried so many of the different diets in my yearning for trying to control my if i i, I believed if i could get the perfect diet yeah then it's like the rest of my life would fall into balance because I'd just be happier all the time and all that stuff. But ugh, like I tried the keto diet, which sounds very similar to this, but not having fiber. For, I mean, like, it, look, obviously there's some kind of thing going on in, in his body that makes that, that work. Um, and there's, there are like, I think the, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of the word for, people who live in the sort of near the North North pole and stuff. But anyway, they eat like whale blubber and stuff and they, they only yeah, eat the Eskimos. There's, there's not a lot of Eskimos. Yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah. <laughs> not a lot That's of, um, not a lot of like yeah. plants available and things mm. like that. And so um, there's obviously a, a, you know, humans can live like that in terms of what their gut bacteria is doing. I've got no idea how that works because yeah. our gut bacteria need to feed off prebiotic fiber, these indigestible fibers. So that's what you find on the skin of your fruit and vegetables, for example. Um, 
it's such an it's such an interesting one. But then I would ask you, you know, like, do you want to live like that? Is that yeah. sustainable for yeah. you? Yeah. So I think the best, the best approach is to eat like really simplify it. it unfortunately it doesn't sell books it doesn't like make headlines but it's like it's balance it's eating whole foods as much as you can obviously there's a place for also not eating whole foods and having having junk if you want you know at times um but having that flexibility with food when it comes to anxiety is the most important thing and also for people eating regular meals so many people who are anxious skip meals or have dysregulated eating times um, and part of that does fuel the anxiety because it sets you up for something called blood sugar imbalance so where you can you're kind of on this roller coaster of your blood sugar all day long where you eat something your blood sugar goes up and then you and then it crashes down especially if it's that's a processed meal or a meal that doesn't have a lot of nutrition in it um, then you get that crash down when your blood sugar is low you're prone for anxiety. That anxiety is a symptom of low blood sugar. And yeah. so for so many people, just getting them to eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, maybe a couple of snacks in there too, it like calms so much of the anxiety. It's a real, that's a real physical anxiety. I still get that if I leave it too late to eat lunch, for example, I'll start to feel anxious and I eat and then I'm like, oh, there we go. Yeah. It's all gone. Yeah, what's also scary is that sometimes the time gap between when you eat some junk food or when you eat something that your body doesn't want and the time at which you start feeling anxious or perhaps your mental stability goes down a bit, the time gap can be quite large. So you don't always relate back to what you ate or what you consumed um, with that feeling in the moment. So you might start thinking, why am I feeling like this? And you'll have no idea. And that's kind of what I meant earlier when I said the self-awareness and the survival mode is kind of scary because sometimes that survival mode doesn't accurately pick up what the threat was or what caused that pain in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. It can be so hard in the moment to, yeah. to know what the next practical, logical, reasonable step is because you're all in your fear mode and your prefrontal cortex, which is where we make decisions, that's all switched off. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like not working at that time. And so this is where, especially when you're in a panic attack, and you feel, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that before, Martin, but... No, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly calm, actually. A lot of people say I'm quite calm, so um, thankfully I don't get panic, panic attacks. Well, yeah, and I hope you never experience it, because it feels like, literally, you're going to die. Oh, wow. And there's complete, you're in complete irrationality. Like, there's no making sense. It's just complete, all-consuming fear, and usually people sort of start to black out and stuff, and it's... Um, yeah, it can be a very, very scary, it can be one of the scariest things you can experience without there being actually anything wrong with you. And a lot of people go to hospital for them too. And then it's like, oh, you just had a panic attack. So what should someone do if they're in a room with someone else that's having a panic attack? What are the signs to look out for and what are the next steps that they can take to make the situation better? It can be different for different people. So some people can be having a panic attack and literally just be sitting there and staring forward and just like look okay. Okay. Um, Whereas other people could be hyperventilating. They might be, you know, crying on the floor. Um, And so obviously that's very obvious in that state. Uh, They might sort of say that they think they're having a heart attack as well. Sure. Um, And in the moment, one of the best things to do as a bystander is to try to help that person come back to a sense of rational thought. And that can mean, okay, what's, what day is it today? 
what's the date today? Can you remember what the date is today? Like something as simple as that. Um, And then the fact that they have to, if they're going to respond to that question, they have to go into their prefrontal cortex to find that information. And so it helps to break that cycle. But with anxiety attacks or panic attacks, one of the best things to do is to actually, it's the hardest thing when when you've never practiced it before. And so this is where it takes practice, but it's actually about letting it be okay that the fear is there. Okay. And that it's because it's the fear of the panic attack that makes it bigger and it gains momentum. And it's because there's all this inner, inner conflict. There's this resistance to it. I don't want this to happen. I don't want this to happen. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger and the fear gets bigger. But when you kind of come back to this place of, okay, I can feel this panic rising, but it's okay. And you zoom in on, on just the sensation you feel in your body you do people do have the power to to break that cycle and it diminishes yeah that's good yeah especially when you said about reminding them what day it is that kind of it's an exercise to help them focus on the present right yeah exactly and yeah i mean at beautiful minds we obviously think that every day of the year should be mental health day or every month should be mental health month because it's a super important topic not just to give it some attention in may or whichever month it is in, in Australia. But, um, yeah. you know, that's why we try to release a lot of content on this topic. And what I always find interesting is that people try to just find one solution. But what you're explaining is that, no, it's a 360 picture. You need to focus on your gut health. You need to focus on your habits, your way of thinking. Is there anything yeah. else that we should worry about? Like maybe, I know you did a journaling really? thing in your... Yeah, I mean, well, journaling is amazing, yeah. but it's so hard to sit down and journal when you're in the extreme of that anxiety. So again, this is one of those things that you can do when you're when you kind of reached a more grounded state. You can work on the... Because <laughs> journaling is one way that we can reprogram our minds and start to question our thinking and find different thoughts. So that's, that's amazing. Um, but if you're sleep deprived and you're not getting enough sleep, and usually this is a vicious cycle because it's like, because I'm anxious, I can't sleep. But yeah. the a sleep deprived brain is primed for anxiety. So when we haven't had enough sleep or if you're jet lagged, for example, um, you're so much more likely to experience anxiety. You're vulnerable to anxiety in that time. Your resilience is low. And so if you're getting a good night's sleep, you're looking after your gut health, you're eating regular meals and you're eating generally nutritious food, um, you're building your resilience higher and higher. So that things in life that trigger you, like, oh my God, my finances. Oh my God, like, am I in, am I in the right job? Oh, that fight I just had with a friend or that breakup or what all those things, right, that happen, we can cope with them better from a place of not letting those triggers necessarily over, overtake us all the time. Um, and that being said, it's, it's also allowed to be, be triggered sometimes that's normal and that's important too. But, um, it's, yeah, I think it's really empowering to know that you can, this resilience is a tangible physical thing you can build for yourself, for your body. Um, the other one would be for women in particular balancing hormones. So that premenstrual kind of mood or anxiety that can come over a lot of women um it's so so common but it's not necessarily something that they have to live with um it's just it's it's something that's uh the reason it's there generally is because they're overly stressed um when we can break that stress cycle calm down give you the right nutrients balance those hormones there doesn't have to be any pms which is also really cool (laughs) okay cool 
Yeah, you talk about hormones and with women, and actually there was an interesting question from a listener once. Uh, it only just came to my head now. He was asking whether men also have kind of monthly cycles where they're feeling low. And he was asking me if it's anything to do with the moon. And I said, you know mm. what, if I ever get a guest on, I'll definitely ask that. And I'm not sure if you're the right person here to I ask. Am. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and here I am. Look, there is definitely a cycle that happens within men too. I watched a TED talk about this a while ago. So it's like so foggy in my mind, but I know there's information on this. And so I encourage anyone that's listening about this question to go find this TED talk about um, there's a hormonal cycle in men too. Um, and, you know, we know this in the sense of like men can get into, I think there's a, there's a build, there can be like a buildup of rage, for example, in a man that okay. can, you know, is a, is a sort of, response from testosterone etc and so mm -hmm. there's there's definitely something that happens in men too women are not the only ones um but i just happen to be my area of expertise is the women yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> definitely no I'll definitely look into that because um yeah i remember he asked it and i was interested as well but i just it just came to my mind now and yeah then, what, what kind of clients do you normally work with do you work with leaders with corporate clients or is it more everyday people that tend to suffer from this typically it's it's everyday people you okay. know and and i mostly women um but i do work with the odd male client as well um it's just that all my all my marketing is targeted for women yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's like i know that's the net i'm casting out but you know sometimes i get I get a few men who want to work with me too and that's that's also great yeah uh, it was interesting because when i was at business school a few years ago i remember the professor for hr was was telling us about how she used to give these seminars to CEOs in, in Spain. And she said some of them hadn't had a day off in like five years. They just couldn't do it. They were just too stressed and um, they just couldn't take a day off. And I just remember thinking like, there must be like a space for anxiety treatments for CEOs and high position, high managerial positions, because they must go through quite a lot. They've got a lot of responsibility and they're accountable for a lot of things. A lot of their actions could lead to, huge financial changes um so i just i've never been in that kind of position where i have that much responsibility but i can kind of imagine what that feels like to some extent yeah and it's such an interesting thing to bring up too because it's often the ceo's responsibility to ensure that their workers their employees are in a in a sound mental state or looking after them in terms of you know making sure there's certain yeah. um programs and things to look after them but who's looking after the, the boss who's like looking after the leaders and often they there might not be anyone and so i would say in for those people that they need to go like off on a retreat somewhere <laughs> to really like switch off and relearn some habits and and kind of look after themselves but i would love to get into um more speaking i love speaking and that's sort of the next sort of thing for me um i'm writing a book at the moment that oh, it will it be oh what is it called at the moment but my working title is just reset your anxious mind okay, um, but i'll nice, refine that as i go yeah um so it's no it's nowhere near ready yet but that's my that's my next project um this year was about starting my podcast as well so i've done that and then then the book is the next thing and then after that I'll, i really want to get into more speaking gigs i just i love speaking that's and good. I've got a lot to say, as you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> You're no, rattling think, on about that. Yeah, keynote speaking is really good, definitely. Uh, we can have we can have a chat about that offline. Um, 
can definitely put you in touch with some alumni and people like that who can if you if you fancy coming to Europe if they allow it the restrictions oh, um, as soon but, as I can get as soon as I can get on a plane and be traveling the world again I will be I love travel that's yeah. exactly what I was saying at the start that's why I wanted to um run my business online my like freedom is such an important value to me so I love love Europe I'll be back as soon as I can <laughs> amazing and tell us a bit about what it's like being a digital nomad do you find that mm. the quality of work can drop when you're distracted or do you find that you're able to keep distractions at bay somehow yeah it definitely can I think it's it sounds more glamorous than it is that's that's one thing because yeah. in, in many ways like you still have to show up and be at your computer doing work getting things done and I think you know especially if you're in a holiday like location um so my plans this year but I mentioned I don't think I've said it when we were recording but um before we were talking and I and my plan was to go to Bali this year and to be there for a few months um but even in a place like that it's still when you're not there for holiday purposes your mind is still on your work you know it's a, it's it's still that um that aspect is still there and I think that's an, an important one to kind of acknowledge you're still kind of getting back to emails and and you can't necessarily just escape all of that um but it is obviously such a cool thing to be able to yeah travel with your work and and do that I think um because I've got so much flexibility because I work for myself I don't have a boss telling me when I can and can't take time off um that is something that if I'm if I'm in a place to explore it so I was in Turkey last year I was definitely working at the same time like keeping the social media aspect going um saw a few clients here or there but mostly blocked out chunks of days so that I could just be there as well um so the I suppose the work sort of slowed down at that point um I was taking some clients from the Cook Islands earlier this year just that was my last trip before lockdown um and that was you know an amazing thing as well so I could kind of be on an island and having a holiday but also have two clients in that afternoon and and so that's it's an amazing way to, to live and work um but it is still you're still kind of yeah you're still working you're not fully in holiday mode and you have to give yourself that permission and having boundaries is so important too so i can be a little bit crack the whip on myself in fact i think you have to be if you're going to pursue that kind of lifestyle because otherwise you wouldn't get anything done yeah. so um i love getting stuff done i love you know uh, you know ticking those goals off and that kind of thing and so that can often eat away in my into my weekends and sometimes i don't i'm not as good at giving myself fully saturday and sunday off completely and because i am flexible i like to give other people that flexibility to to be able to access me so for example a lot of people are busy monday to friday um, I want to be able to offer them a, an online event that's on the Saturday so they can actually attend, which means that I'm working on my Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> I have to get better at looking at, okay, so I worked on Saturday, so actually I could take Tuesday off and kind of give myself still yeah. that time. But it's, it's really cool because I've got that flexibility to choose that and I love that, but um, often I will just keep, keep working and working every day yeah it's interesting you say that because we started our business lounge series uh recently the first episode is going to come out soon and 
we had two former guests on Kimmy and Natalie, and we were talking about work-life balance and how that might change now with COVID. Mm. And what Kimmy was saying was very interesting because she said that now we're realizing that actually there's no such thing as work-life balance because balance looks differently for everyone else. Um, So it's like, if you have a kid, for example, um, my friend was saying this, if you have a kid and he's crying in the middle of the night, you can't tell the kid, Hey, like I need my eight hours sleep. That's what work-life balance is. You know, that kid's going to keep crying. So um, you might have a father who just wants to go and do his nine to five and get home and maximize time with the kids and family. He doesn't care about the job that much. And that's his work-life balance. Or um, what Kimmy was then saying is that if we just approach it from the angle of work-life integration, then we can actually start building a lifestyle around working and not treating every aspect of work as work, but also as just living life normally. And uh, I thought that was quite interesting. And it's kind of similar to what you're saying where, okay, if you've accepted that, you're never going to have like a two week chunk where you do zero work because there's no escaping that type of work. You have to stay on top of it. Otherwise the catch up game is going to be too big afterwards. And then you may not Mm -hmm. achieve your goals. I think that's really important, especially for a lot of people coming out of university, for example, because they have these illusions or I'm guilty of it as well. When I came out of school, I had these impressions, which were just, I don't know what they were based on, but I just made them up in my head. I've realized now. And the world works very differently to how you imagine. Um, yeah I think it's an important message and I think you know I love being able to hope and dream and have and like my honestly like I I've always wanted to push those norms and push what's possible in life and so I'm still yeah I'm still figuring out that balance for myself I suppose but often like what like technically is work this is what can happen to me sometimes I'll feel like I haven't done enough that day that's the story my mind tells um, and I'm aware of it. And so I can see it and I can kind of, you know, but what that, because what I've actually done that day happens to be a lot of social media. And to me, social media is kind of, doesn't feel like work. I see. It's kind of fun. And so I, will I ever go like two weeks without posting anything or showing up on my social? Like, I don't know. I'm sure I will at some point. Like maybe if I've just, I don't know, had a child or something I'm sure then I'll be like that's my focus but and take a break but it doesn't feel like something I need to take a break from in that sense so there's this other side of it where it's like yes you're kind of constantly working but also um work doesn't always feel like work which is an interesting side of it too when when it is something like this where like I get to be creative I get to come up with ideas all the time and share those ideas that are just me musing about life you know yeah yeah so we talked a bit about fears earlier what would be your greatest fear at this present time (laughs) um you you mentioned you're gonna ask this question before and i'm like i still haven't got my answer but i mean there's so many fears because uh, as someone who knows anxiety i guess probably the most helpful thing i could say is what does my fear center around predominantly in that sense and so the greatest fear is um, it always often comes back to finances because that's that's what security means to me. That's what I was always taught was safety. So, yeah. oh my God, what if like, I, you know, something happens and I can't continue to support myself or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, that would be one. But it's always funny because you go down the like, you actually go down into that worst case scenario, which is part of the work that I 
work people through and it's like yeah. actually then you work out what you would do if that actually happened and you see that actually you'd be okay and it's just that you're worried about the the shame and the failure um that would temporarily be there in that sense but then do a lot of um, your clients come with the same fear with finances and then you think you sit there thinking i had the same thought to myself Oh, totally. Because yeah. our, our, we're very similar. Like, yeah. as much as we want to be like, we're all unique and wonderful, like, we're actually all also quite similar. Like, we all worry about money, a lot yeah. of us. That's a, that's a very societal fear, I think. Um, there's never enough money. There's never enough time. There's never enough friends. I'm not I'm never, like, I'm never, you know, social enough or on top of it, my game in that sense, you know. There's all of that. Um, and then the other big one for me is abandonment which is because when I, when my parents divorced, I felt abandoned by my dad because he chose to um, be with another woman and, and, and be with, like start another family. And I took that at that time very personally. That was my perception of the time. I've worked, done so much work on it now. I mean, it's been 10 years um, and it's not, I've, I've learnt to see in that, what was true and how I was always actually loved. I've always got this special relationship with my dad. None of it is, was necessarily even about me and I took it personally and that's been very healing, but that sense of what if, what if I, what if I'm left um, because of having had that experience too. And I, and that is such a common one too for so many people. Yeah. And what would be your biggest piece of advice then, especially for the younger people, like even younger, like when they're 10 or 11, and mm. their parents split up. It can be quite devastating emotionally. Yeah. I think for a 10 or an 11-year-old, they're probably not going to fully process it until okay. they are older and can look back at it through adult eyes because we're very egocentric as children. And we, mm. we, this, is, this is where a lot of this gets so painful because we, we see everything in relation to us and we think it's our fault and we take on these burdens and we like, mum and dad aren't happy, that's my fault. I've done something wrong. I haven't that's made cool. them happy. Whereas when, we get, when we're older, we can look back on it with our adult brains and actually see, especially I think it can be so healing for people when they end up having their own children. Yeah. I don't have my own children at this point, but I, like, I, I see that for other people too. It's like you can see, well, the way that you see your child, you can see that wasn't their fault. You can see it's not their fault when you've had a bad day and you're sad. And, yeah. like, but, and so it really helps hone in and we have to go back often to that time um, or to those memories as, as when we were children when that stuff happened. Um, but obviously I think it's just about validating for a child in that, at that age, you know, letting them know that it's okay to feel, feel what they're feeling and don't, they don't have to bottle it up. That's when they get so messed up when they're older when they feel like they can't cry and they can't be upset and they can't be devastated. Mm. Um, and then, you know, for anyone that's sort of older going through anything like that, it's, it's usually, and you know, I think the, the, the common, I mean, there's obviously so many different stories and circumstances with parents divorcing, but, um, really getting to a place of knowing it's not that it's not that your parents wanted to hurt you or that you weren't enough. It's usually the fact that they are two human beings trying to be happy, fumbling their way through life, trying to reach at the things that they think are going to make them happy. And sometimes that means having affairs. Sometimes that means choosing to not be together anymore and 
it doesn't mean anything to do with the children involved most of the time. Um, it's, it's just these <laughs> amateurs raising amateurs. And they were often, you know, taught different things from their parents, you know, about yeah. where happiness comes from. And, and in society, we're all taught that it comes from outside of us. It'll come from the, if you get that job promotion, it'll come from the money. It comes from, um, yeah, that next relationship. And so my story is my dad, um, you know, had that other relationship, um, trying to find that happiness externally. And honestly, the happiness comes from within. And it's, it can sometimes take a bit of life experience to really let that one sink in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's a very strong piece of advice that a lot of other guests have actually amplified as well. So it's, it's interesting that everyone that I've had this discussion with and they don't know each other, but they've said pretty much similar things. So that's, that's really consistent. That's good. And then yeah. what keeps you awake at night? You mentioned that sometimes, you know, sleep can be hard even for the best of sleepers, but then does anything keep you awake at night? Mm. I'm a pretty good sleeper most yeah. of the time, but if I'm ever having a tr trouble sleeping, it's because I've been really triggered by something. And that can be often about, um, like if I've had an argument with a family member or something that's been a big thing and mm. I'm like mulling over it in my mind um, because I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser and I try very hard to honour myself and not please people um, at the expense of myself. So that would probably be the sort of thing that would keep me awake at night because I care and I don't like hurting people and, yeah, that kind of thing. But I'm very, I'm such a, like, dedicated journaler. And I, if I'm, like, upset about something, I will journal that out until there's nothing left to think about, basically. Yeah. So getting the thoughts down before I go to sleep helps a lot. So your tip is to journal before bed. Oh yeah. Possible, yeah. yeah. And that's where thoughts, kind of thoughts out of your mind and onto the paper and then it's easier to sleep. Yeah. Because you can process it. You don't, I think part of the anxious thinking is that we are worried, like we won't remember it. And so we've got to keep thinking about the same thing again. And we're in this cycle, but once you've put it out on paper and you've kind of worked out your conclusions, you've worked out what you, what meaning you've made out of whatever's going on then you can actually let that go. That's powerful, yeah. Definitely going to try that. That's good. And if I was to give you a magic pen and paper and write a letter to yourself when you were a teenager or 10 years ago, whenever, what would you write in that letter? You are so much more powerful than you realise. Honestly, my life from being a teenager till now has been learning over and over how powerful I am in the sense of how resilient I am, how much I, how much pain and, and like turbulence in life I can actually handle. Cause you don't believe you can until you have, right. Um, in terms of how I can start a business and basically using thoughts from my mind, you know, help people and, and build this thing. And it's really created from my mind and a dream that I had. You know, all of those things make me feel so powerful um, that you can come up with a vision and make that your reality. And that's what I would tell myself. That's powerful. And if you had a choice between going at, in the future at any point in time or going back at any point in time in the past, not just within your life, but um, 
even hundreds of years ago, which one would you choose and why? Wow. Oh my God. I, w- I don't think I'd go back in time in my own life because I really believe that the way that everything's played out has been for me and work yeah. has like lines up and I wouldn't change a thing, even the, even the bad stuff, because then the good stuff might've been altered too. And I've had some great things happen in my life as well. Um, back in time, I immediately think of that show Outlander. Have you seen it? Um, no, I haven't. Is it in oh, Australia or is it? No, no. It, yeah, it's set, in, it's, it's set in Scotland and um, it's all about there's time travellers and they go back in time. To like, <laughs> um, but I feel, I feel like, I don't know. I actually, I wouldn't, like, can I say that I wouldn't go to another time? Because sure. I actually think it's amazing. It's so exciting to be alive at this time in human history. I think that I, because I'm just thinking, even if I went back to the Victorian era, which sounds kind of fun, um, if I was, you know, well to do, that would have been great. But then also, you know, there's, you don't have electricity, you've got so many, you have to wait three weeks for your letter to arrive to your lover, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, as much as everyone wants to write off 2020 and say this is the most horrible year ever, I am just like so. And, and not to disregard the pain and the, the bad things that have happened from it, but from from ashes, the phoenix rises. And I just think that there's so much hope in this year. I feel like all the deep shit in human society is coming to the surface where we you know we had the Australian bushfires at the start of the year that brought the climate change issue to the forefront of the global mind. Um, and then with lockdown, we've had the really important things come to light in our lives so what's really important to you not just you know breaking the cycle of your normal day-to-day rhythm you start to realize actually like i i love my social life like you appreciate it so much more appreciate like when we can finally go to the movie cinema again like how great will that be um and so lockdown's been a beautiful thing to i think make people stop and reflect and think and really prioritize and value family again and all of those kind of those basic things i think a lot of us have reduced our social circles to just the really important people in our lives too not not all the extra fluff that kind of you you sort of maintain on a on a more superficial level and i also obviously with everything that's happening um with the the anti-racist movement which is also incredible to be around at this time as well i mean how great that we're also dealing with racism i'm just like everything's coming up and this is great and i just i I feel like there's probably going to be more things this year too yeah more surprises bring it on on. yeah yeah definitely you know it's it's different yeah there's a different way to look at it i guess and it's really refreshing because the media try to paint it in a different light and i think it's important for genuine figures like yourself and many others to kind of bring this to people's attention because then if you put a different spin on it people embrace it more and then amplify it and the results will just accelerate so i think that's yeah, really powerful, yeah. i mean the media generally is that is that perspective of fear because fear is addictive fear makes us like how many times did you check the news for covid updates you know i've, I've never checked the news so much for like in in years because i was actually like oh this is actually influencing my life and i need to <laughs> pay attention to what's going on um but generally i i try to just keep the news at arm's length 
a lot of the time because it is so fear mongering and it always is the world's getting worse and the world's a terrible place when we see this like tiny snapshot of the world <laughs> represented in the news stories because they're the ones that get our attention you know yeah and it's I, funny because i know a few courses out there that kind of help help um build leaders and these types of courses and then i've also spoken to holistic coaches similar to yourself and they've they've said that the social media doesn't actually play a huge role in our mental health but then on these courses where they try to try to create leaders they talk about low media diets and i wasn't really sure what the relationship is between social media media in general and a healthy mind to to foster leadership skills yeah that's so interesting i would say it's all about if, if you're having a low media diet, which I would say I consume most of the time, I don't watch the nightly news every night. I did for a while when it was, yeah, we, you know, we needed those updates and are we going into lockdown and what's happening and all that. Mm. Um, but I'm aware of what's going on in the news and, and what's going on in the world without needing to consume every, every detail, every story, because I always know it's always going to be a filtered version of the truth. And I think when you have a bit of separation away from it, you you get the ability to think independently and not just get caught up in the mass conscious consciousness perspective on everything um and so perhaps looking at both sides of the of the story instead of just the one narrative that we we see and questioning the narrative you know yeah it's healthy to question things i agree yeah because um, how can you lead if you're just if we're all just following the narrative of, yeah. of the news you're a follower you're not a leader leaders yeah. think independently and think differently that is true, yeah. I agree with that. Definitely. No, and if I was to ask you, what, what top three things would you want people to think of you when you leave a room? Oh. <laughs> yeah. There's, like, my ego perspective and then there's, like, like the real me. Like, you know, the, like, yeah. the, the stuff that's important. I would say what's really important would be um, she made me feel listened to. I feel inspired, hopefully. Hopefully I would like to leave people feeling more uplifted and inspired than when I last saw them than when I got to them. Um, and yeah, perhaps a sense of, I like, I like people to feel comfortable and understood in my presence, you know? Yeah. And I, for me, that's about, you know, it can sound really airy fairy, but I like holding people in that presence of love, like letting the love that I can generate within myself hold hold people that's that's what i do with my work that's my secret source to yeah. working with clients it's seeing the loving it's seeing them with a loving perspective that they can't necessarily see in themselves yeah no i definitely get that impression from you and i'd also add maybe knowledge because you are very knowledgeable on this topic and many other topics of course but uh, i think the foundation is knowledge and i think using that knowledge in the right ways is, is very powerful so yeah oh i appreciate that I don't, it's funny. I don't always, I'm I, people do say that to me, like, you know, so much. And I'm like, I don't know where it comes from. Cause like, I just, I guess I, uh, yeah. Like I, I'm not always aware because to me it's stuff that I talk about all the time. So I'm like, this isn't, this is just, doesn't everyone know this about like the gut and the hormones and what it all does. Yeah. But, no, they, they'll yeah. say the expert takes his knowledge for granted. And I think that's true in many cases. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. So you've talked about speaking, writing a book, and you also mentioned before that you've launched a new program. What's going mm. to be included in that program? Um, so in this program, it's basically week by week for 12 weeks or 90 days going through 
one component each week that works on reprogramming your thoughts and beliefs. So starting to think differently, starting to question thoughts. Um, and the other component is how can we look after our physical health, something we can do for our physical health to um, build our anxiety resilience. So working through optimizing our gut health, balancing hormones, looking after our nutrition. And it works so beautifully together because that, that resilience is built upon bit by bit consistently. Um, and at the same time, you can, you know, start to think different thoughts and start to, yeah, rewire, rethink, reset that anxious mind. No, that's impressive. I think 12 weeks is a long time. And um, it's, it just shows that nothing's overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, think how long you've been thinking a certain way. Yeah. You know, it could be years, decades. Yeah. Yeah, we got a lot to work against yeah. in that sense. Yeah. But it's also about the consistency. So I think it's so easy to like pick up a book and read it for a week and then be like, oh, that's really cool. And you like apply the stuff from the book for a week, but then you go back to your normal life. Whereas this is when you're applying this day by day with that consistency and there's the momentum of going through it with a group because it's other people with you too. And you're kind of like, oh, I've got to keep up with them that's when we get stuff done. That's when you really can have a transformation. Definitely. Yeah. I think there's a lot of mentorship programs out there as well, which I think would complement a personal program like this one. And I think hopefully in the future, a lot of people will have these go-to programs where they can stay on top of it. Like you said, if you just do it once for 12 weeks, that's great. Maybe for the rest of the year, you'll be on top of it. But then all mm. it takes is a little trigger. Like you said, with sleeping, a trigger mm -hmm. to kind of do a 180 and then you go back to where you were. And I think staying on top of it is, is really important. That's why with things like yeah. Tony Robbins, he has these annual meetings, which I need to go to one. I haven't been to one yet, but I know. I would love to go to a Tony Robbins date with destiny. Um, yeah, that one's meant to be really good, but there was one more that my friend went to, I think it's called UPW. Uh, Unleash right. The power within. Yeah, that's the one. And he said that a lot of the people that go there have been like five or six times before. So it just shows mm. how it's not like a one-time fix. It's not like a pill that you take once. It's you have to keep going. Yes, I would say that. But also we are forever expanding and growing. Mm. Like that is our nature. We live in an expanding universe and we are here to grow and expand all the time like think about how much more you know now than you knew five years ago yeah. like and so and from you know in five in another five years you're going to know so much more than you know now and right now you're like how could i possibly know more yeah. and i think that that's partly that you go to another tony robbins after that and you like you just go to the next level and then the next level and the next level mm. and we just gain more from it yeah 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 sense. like we just great gain more and more wisdom and more and more experience yeah no definitely um no, uh, thanks for your time. Obviously, Georgia, it was really good talking to you. And I think, you know, you're on a really good path. And it was interesting to learn about your, your growth. And I didn't expect to hear some of the stuff that you said. Um, and definitely, I'll be keeping you updated if we have any more panels. It'll be great to have you on the business lounge in the future, considering how you've made your business online and how you can take it anywhere in the planet. Um, I think that's really interesting. I think people say that's happening now, but I still think that's the future at the same time you know yeah, kind definitely. of embracing that culture of digital nomads more flexibility and freedom in our lives like i think yeah. and that's what again another thing that's been great about this working from home a lot of people are realizing actually you can go for a walk in the middle of the day and then yeah. get back to work and just you know like there is that flexibility yeah it's, it's weird how 
we kind of built this fictional cage around us, around ourselves at work where, oh no, why would I go for a walk in the day? It's work time. Um, exactly. And now it's like, no, you can go for a walk, man, it's cool. <laughs> starting to question and yeah, yeah, that's right. Definitely, no, thanks for coming on. Uh, wish you all the best, obviously, and yeah, stay in touch. Thank you, Martin, I definitely will be.